0: Today we have with us R.C. R.C., thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So R.C. started and sold a law firm. I today. did. So I'd love to learn a bit about um, kind of how you grew the firm. Sure. And how you positioned the company for acquisition.
1: So law is not that different from like the accountant space, mm-hmm. right? Any of these service, professional service industries. And you're only as valuable as that. Uh, I think the relationships in the book of business that you have. And I think that um, if you, one of the things that I learned early on in the law practice was um how a bunch of practice areas and attorneys, they would jump from like law firm to law firm. Mm-hmm. Like I think the average when I was first in law school was someone telling me that most attorneys 10 years out will have worked at three or four different law firms. And you find out part of that is like transitions of entire sections, right? There's a revenue, there's a section, like let's say a bankruptcy section of a law firm, right? That has a whole bunch of relationships and a whole bunch of business. And so then they get essentially hired away by mm-hmm. another law firm and so many law firms are built around the shareholder partner model right you essentially are it's you're buying and selling shares of the law firm mm-hmm. right um and um and uh, it's very practice area focused so i think the value of having like a specialized skill set and then a specific um how shall i say a, a specialized skill set and then reaching a particular niche and having good relationships in that niche that can keep the pipeline of work coming in—that's like crucial to anything. And so, what we were able to do. So, the law firm that I that we sold was um, Ram Law Firm. My myself and my two partners. And what we did is we and we had an office in San Antonio and Austin. And it started out off with one of the partners by building up an office in Geekdom and then an office in Capital Factory. Now, at the time, Capital Factory was okay with me being here. I don't think they <laughs> allow as many service providers to just hang out. But at the time, you know, I was, I was, general, I was an outside general counsel for one of the sp- small companies. And so I built up this reputation in San Antonio and Austin at two co-working spaces along with my partners of being startup focused. And we had basically a foothold within two companies that had, or two space areas that had a bunch of startups growing bunch of startups that needed access to legal. And so we carved out this, we had this access to a client base that was appealing to attorneys that were running law firms who didn't really understand the coworking space, right? Like a little bit older, maybe they've had a lot more experience than we have on transactions, but they didn't have that access and that trust, you know, with those companies that were in those co-working spaces. So I've kind of gone on and on, but that's, that's really what we did is it, it was our ability to kind of like carve out that niche and have access to, to clients and customers.
0: Yeah. I so, love that. I love that. So yeah. at what point did you think about selling the company?
1: Well, you know, that was kind of a, a forced issue, honestly, in some ways, not, we could have kept growing it on our own. But um, it's so funny, I, being that I'm also an entrepreneur, uh, one, of the co- uh, one of the partners, there were three of us when we sold, but one of the other partners, he and I actually had a startup that we'd also started alongside it, an equity crowdfunding portal. And we actually helped to write these Texas state security laws before the larger jobs act was finally passed. And so we had actually chosen someone to be the CEO of that company we fundraised money, and then at the eleventh hour, my uh, partner was like, "I can't. It's my baby. I have to be CEO." And I was like, "Well, what are we gonna? We, we can't. You can't be CEO of that and a partner of a law firm." And he said yeah, I can. I'm like, no, yeah, our clients are going to like that. We, clients expect service, right? Really like quality service, right? And that was a, a reputation that we built. So I was like, we just don't really have the bandwidth for that. So what I want to do is position us, you know, but we built a great niche, you know, and we know where we could be in five years. We've like, projected that we like planned out what our revenue growth should be, you know, and then we thought, well, we could go to some of the competitors that we were work with and go to them and say, this is where we plan on being. This is our foothold. This is what, you know, you don't have access to these particular clients and we can give you that. And then now's the time to acquire us, you know? And so that was the idea was that I wanted to keep that consistent quality of work that we were doing. And we just didn't have enough hands to do it. Cause at the time it was like three partners and an associate and a paralegal. And if we were going to have one partner that was, becoming CEO of a company and his duty to that company, you know, was going to take him away from us. We needed to make sure we had enough hands. And so that was what led us to, okay, how do we position ourselves to be acquired? And that's when I went through the process of researching how to do this and how to make a market for us and all that stuff. So,
0: so how did you position yourself to be acquired?
1: Right. So there were, I remember having this conversation uh, where I'd suggested to the two partners, uh, Stephen and Nathan, I said, well, we're just going to have to get someone to buy us. Once, once uh, Nathan had said he wanted to be CEO of our, our the startup, and they both said, they looked at me like, they, like I was crazy. And they were like, how are you going to do that? We just started. We've only been <laughs> in existence for two years. So uh, I told them at that point, let me worry about that. You know, I come from a sales background, so I can probably create the market for that. And so... Kind of going back to what I said earlier, I found those like weak spots in all of the law firms that, not all of them, but in many that service this startup space. And that is they're not there every day building up credibility, trust with the entrepreneurs that are building companies. They also are not necessarily able to, because they don't have feet on the ground, they're not able to assess well the risks that they're taking with certain entrepreneurs. Some entrepreneurs, their business models, their cash flow, whatever is, you know, when you're running a law firm, you have to make money, right? So your clients need to be able to pay. So some entrepreneurs, some people in the startup or companies in the startup world, whether it's entrepreneurs, investors, what have you, they are, some will be able to help you grow your law firm. Some won't just by virtue of them being able to pay their bills, right? So what I did is I knew that I'd identified that that was a problem for law firms that were trying to start a startup practice. Okay. So that was an identified problem. We knew that was a problem. That was why we thought we had a really great opportunity to grow our law firms within Geekdom and Capital Factory. We had a dedicated office in Geekdom. Like everybody, there was a, it wasn't like that here at Capital Factory, but at Geekdom, people would, on the tour, Like literally the geekdom staff would say, and here is our in-house law firm (laughs) if you have legal needs. And so we were pitched to every entrepreneur that took a a tour of geekdom. So point being is we knew that there was an identified need there. Now, when you're in a transactional law space like we were, so we weren't litigation focused, it was transactional. We We would speak quite frequently with, Uh, opposing counsel on deals, right? investor counsel, company counsel. For the most part, we were company counsel or entrepreneur counsel. Sometimes we were investor, but not as frequently. In that process of, of running transactions, you end up being able to assess, at least what I did is I would assess across the table from those interactions, is that law firm a law firm that at the time, I wasn't thinking of acquisition. But the time, I was thinking, what's our competitive advantage, right? I'm analyzing each of the law firms that we're going against. My business brain in the background every once in a while is, oh, we'll be able to be their size within two years or we'll be able to beat them in revenue in 10. I would think business-wise like that. When we got to the point where we thought, where I thought, okay, I need to build a market for, to sell us. I thought about a lot of those law firms we were with or going up against. And so I thought, I know these folks had expressed how they didn't know how to get into the startup space. So, you know, when I had coffee with one of them, um, or how to get you know some more early stage businesses. I know that this one law firm was thinking, well, what if we take equity? I've, I know that this other law firm was thinking, um, oh, that's not a space we want to go after. So I, I already know some of the stories. I already knew some of the stories. Some of the their places where they they needed some extra value add, or I thought we could position ourselves as value add, and that's basically how I went about first. Creating that market for us is looking at that value add that we had and thinking, what are some gaps that other like our competitors have? How can we, you know, come in and fill that gap for them? Right. So that's how I started going about doing that. Ultimately, we were. I I, I then had coffees or drinks with numerous law firms that I thought would be potential fits for us, right? Between the amount of staff that they had, their financial resources, big, but not too big, right? Big enough that they couldn't, you know, hire another group and they recreate what we were doing. Um, or, but, uh, and, and not too small that they couldn't afford to acquire us, right? Um, I also did some research into what these acquisitions of law firms look like. When you're when when a section of a law firm is being acquired, or a a whole law firm is being acquired, the multiple is not very not very sexy. (laughs) So the, the multiple, when I was talking to people could be, you know, from 0.5% of your average revenues, annual revenues to, you know, 1.5%, sometimes 2%. But especially for a law firm our size, we might only expect like a 1%, right? So, and we only had two years track record. And usually they'd want to see at least three to five years track record of revenue. So we, so I knew that was a weak point for us as well.
0: Just to clarify, you mean not percent, but like X, like yeah, X, five, X, 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 yeah, X. exactly, okay. exactly,
1: X. So yeah. if we're making only half a million dollars last year, yeah, then we're only going to get an offer of two hundred fifty thousand so, dollars. I mean, that would be like the worst case kind of scenario. Gotcha. And you can understand how that would work in transactional work as well because mm-hmm. you're only as valuable as your last transaction. You don't unless you have you can show that you have a good pipeline. You know, people are taking quite a bit of a risk, right? So sure. that's a, another one of those reasons why sections you know leave or get bought out or whatever. So, uh, I realized that, you know, that was the weakness in our story. So, um, because we've only been in operation two years before that, uh, we, the, the amount of money that we made was good, but good for like four people, you know, at the, especially in the first year, we didn't take salaries, right? So we were making revenues but we had to make other overhead, um, uh, pay overhead. Um, we didn't, I mean, we made money off of dividends, but not not regular salaries in the very beginning. So I knew that that was a weakness. So what we did is, is what I did is I took our client base. I took the revenues. I took the stages that they were at, like, seed stage A without disclosing names, of course, but I'm making a list of where we anticipate the eventual revenue and what you can make off of these clients. And we did an analysis of like all of our client book said, this is what our client book looks like today, but this is what our client book will look like in five years. And it was very interesting. Like something people, some people hadn't seen it like that before. A lot of law firms, once we got into the actual diligence with a couple of law, the two law firms that ended up being the final, like, like law firms that were looking at us, you know, we took from, I had multiple meetings, probably 6 or 7 meetings. Went down to two law firms that had interest and uh you know that's how we had tried to justify it, right? And we're getting the same pushback from them. Well, a multiple, you're asking for a lot. <laughs> so, and it was going to be an aqua hire. It's always going to be an aqua hire in these situations, right? So, there's going to be some cash up front and then, you know, an earn out as a as a through your salary and then equity in the, in the new, uh, law firm. And so, you know, they would push back with those, some kind of metrics on, on multiple. And so we just had to justify to them why it was worth the risk, you know? And so one law firm kind of the, one of the two law firms, I think it was just timing. Honestly, we were in talks with both, but there was, um, someone that got sick at their law firm. And so that didn't advance very far. And so the law firm that ended up acquiring us, I'm still appreciative of them to this day, MWR law firm, um, or MWR law now RWR law. They, um, they took that chance on us and it was really exciting to, you know, to be a part of that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, cre- finding out their weaknesses, cr- trying to show them that, that we could create the revenue. And even if they didn't see it on that balance sheet or the revenues the prior two years, why we could mathematically project how we would see these like relationships grow. So, awesome. yeah, yeah.
0: Were all the people at the table uh, that you uh, that had offers or that you were talking to You sought them out? Did anybody seek you out?
1: No, actually. So that was the other thing too. No one sought us out. It was all proactive on our side Mm -hmm. because I think, and, and that's the thing that, whether it sounds interesting or not, I do I am somewhat proud of the fact that I know that in my sales background, like I know you can create a market for something. It's just a, mat, a matter of going out and hustling and being able to do that. And I, I I would encourage everybody on that. There's always a market, right? So, um you might get, get a lot from that market, but, but there's always a market that you can create. And so, no one was coming after us. It was it was me planting the seeds with them and saying, "Hey, we're at a part where we're thinking we can grow this on our own or we can partner up with somebody and help them grow." Their 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 startup law practice far faster than they could on their own. And because we have the pipeline to the to the companies and um, and the relationships and the current relationships. And so that was compelling enough so that when people started listening, they were interested. There was genuine interest from a number of people. Of course, you know, again we only got into the final stages with two of them. But it was all based off of our conversations and not based on people saying, Oh, you want to acquire us? So yeah. How long we did it, went. Out and we made it happen.
0: How long did it take from the point where you started looking for acquirers to the point where you were actually at the table with two offers?
1: Yeah. Um, hmm. I want to say that it was very. It was very short. Hmm. It was about three months. Yeah. So from that point that we we did that.
0: Now yeah. is that because of you just you talk to, you know, half a dozen people and yeah, not just everybody's hap- going to be interested okay. in the beginning, okay. right?
1: So it's like you like the the law firm that we eventually went with, they is an initial coffee, another coffee later on. You don't want to appear desperate, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're not going to go out and say you're you don't you're not going to make payroll. We weren't in that position like we weren't going to make payroll. We were going to, you know, we were we we're doing fine. We're we're, we're growing. And uh, so you don't want to be too needy, but you also want to keep the conversation alive. And so it was about a three month, um, time horizon because, you know, like I said, there was a co-founder of a startup that I I was with and I wasn't on active on day to day on that. But by then he was already active, right? And in, in running the day-to-day operations of that startup. And so I was essentially down a man. So for me it was very much like self preservation i don't want to be up until 2 or 3 in the morning working on the work that that the the that we had to take on because our you know other partner was now um, doing something else uh, but he also did and still to this day has tremendous like um relationships at geekdom in san antonio and so you know that was something that there was value in his relationships regardless of whether or not and and and, and we all knew it so there was regardless of him being there day to day, but that still meant we had to get the work done. Right. And so, like I said, I wanted to get out from under, you know, 18 mm-hmm. hour work days as fast as possible. So I was fine with keeping like everything moving forward rather, yeah. rather quickly. So, so.
0: that three month process where you're seeking acquirers, has mm-hmm. must have been a really intense period. How did that impact your day to day business operations of running right. the firm?
1: Well, so like I said, I had a lot more late nights, yeah. right? Because so I was the chief business development partner. So I would go out and create the relationships that I was trying to then tell law firms, Hey, you want these relationships, but I can keep them both up, you know? So I essentially added another, you know, I would say 20 to 25% of my workload got was, was increased by just going and creating the relationships and talking potential terms and just, just, thinking about it, right? Because mm-hmm. it takes you away from everything else, right? Because I need to still get our bill- billables out. I hit my billable hour, um, uh, projection, or sorry, uh, my billable hour requirement. I had to, um, uh, manage our people. So there were still opportunities for me to get that done, but it just meant like longer days. You know, I had to expand like my my work day.
0: <laughs> did you think ever think about bringing in someone to help you like a business broker?
1: So I, I did actually. Um, part of me learning about the valuations was really around that mm-hmm. right So um, and that's my first time really getting to know business brokers funnily enough and I, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I still know some really good business brokers to this day that I recommend people to. The only reason that that didn't work was we just didn't really fit their profile yet, because we were so young, right? A two-year-old law firm—that's not the kind of like business that they are used to pitching, and 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 so it was a bit too risky. Also, the multiple, the amount of dollars in play—I'm not sure that it would have been. I mean, they would have made a fine finder's fee on it, but I don't know that it would have been quite as enticing for the legwork and time they would have had to have put in you know so uh the one business broker who's who helped me like really nailed down what we should be asking our valuation and he i bought him a lot a bunch of coffees and lunches i was like do i need to pay you anything he was just very kind he's like no you send me it was a business valuation person who i sent a lot of startups to, and he said no just i'll help you out you send me like Businesses all the time, so um, so he helped me nail down what we should be we should be asking for, and I think those folks are incredibly valuable. And anytime there is a business that matches up with the needs of a business broker, I highly recommend. So yeah, they know a lot about the markets. Well, so
0: what were some of those things that uh, they recommended regarding the valuation that you should include?
1: Well, I think that so they knew about the weakness, as I said, of like those you know revenues or prior year revenues. Re- they really didn't have a, a lot of them, right? So I think good business brokers are storytellers and so that was where we got into how do you tell your story of future revenue growth how do you quantify the value of you having a premier like placement office like physical space in geekdom right so that every tour goes by your office that was pretty big deal That was um, better than what I was doing here at Capital Factory. I was just in the co-working space. People knew me and still do, thankfully. Knock on wood, that was very nice. But it wasn't the same as having that geekdom space. So we definitely had access to Capital Factory, but we had amazing office space in, in, in geekdom in San Antonio. And so how do we quantify those relationships there? How many, you know, and so telling that story of everything from I'll tell you what we did to to project what we thought a company could give us. You generally, just from term sheets, can see... You've seen those startup term sheets, right? Series A, seed stage, series B. There's more often than not a line item for attorney fees. Everybody pretty much has budgeted what those attorney fees are going to be. And even though you might have some law firms that project a little bit or that... They may not have even seen the deal. They haven't seen the precedent before, but you'd be amazed that if the uh, term sheet says that a company will pay up to 25,000 of legal, the bill is going to be 25,000 of legal, <laughs> 50,000 of legal. The bill is going to be 50,000 of legal. So you can essentially get a good idea of what a company is going to be, um, or what, what attorneys are going to be billing to companies on those you know fundraising deals. And so we could just take a list of our seed stage companies and we weren't promising all of them would make it, but we said, okay, let's say only like 20% of them make it. This is what we stand to make at a series seed, you know, maybe past that, um, only another 20% make it. And this is series a, you know, series B. And so we could give some projections on what we thought, you know, those clients would be worth, right? The value to the law firms. And that was uh, to say nothing of, you know, future people we could bring in. We could quantify, we're able to sign up six new startups every month between both locations. Let's project that out. Let's see what that looks like. So I essentially modeled out a rather ambitious plan (laughs) to acquire more, more clients, but also to grow with the clients that we had. And, you know, ultimately the law firm that acquired us, we grew the law firm by double the, you know, the, by what? the second, yeah, by the second year or year and a half in. So on revenue, was it double, double by the end of two years. It was close after one year, but already just bringing our book of business in helped out. Right. But then we, again, we had that larger, we kept adding clients, you know, kept adding clients. So yeah, we were able to bring in more revenue. And a lot of those were companies that, you know, they started with a seed when it was on our own, we get acquired and then we get that big series A. Right. So it was, it, it, it was, it, it was true to form. Right. So it worked out for people.
0: So. Was this structured as a stock or an asset sale?
1: Uh, it was a, it was an asset sale. Okay. Um, the, and I think, well, most of the buyers do want to do that. So, <laughs> and so that was something that we acquiesced to. And it makes sense as well in the legal world. You're going to see way more of that, far more of that because of liability issues and concerns. So a stock acquisition is just not usually in the cards for that. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: What was it like preparing the seller disclosure schedules? So it
1: was because everybody was a lawyer. (laughs) It was remarkably easy. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the law firm that was acquiring us had exceptional, and they still do have exceptional like experience in this. Uh, Rick Ressler is still one of my absolute favorite human beings in the world. And uh, he had plenty of precedent for that. So you know, this is what we want to see. These are the seller disclosures. Uh, we had like two to three weeks to turn around everything. It, but also it was one of those things where to be truthful, it probably was a lot easier than you would have had with any other business because two things, one, it's an hire, So we're going to be there, right? So you don't really want to risk lying or not being fully truthful on any kind of disclosures anyway, but also and this is amazing. I don't know if I'm giving away the secret, but when lawyers are doing transactions amongst themselves, you'd be amazed how little they care about the paperwork. So, <laughs> so <laughs> for everybody else, paperwork, but then, you know, lawyers transaction amongst themselves are like, let's not have too much. Let's not put too much in writing. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, that was uh, that was a, f- a funny experience there, but it wasn't too too um, backbreaking. And, you know, I've been involved in transactions that had far more scrutiny and far more paperwork. Right. So, uh, yeah.
0: Once you got to the term sheet stage, how did negotiations go from there and how long did they take?
1: Oh, so the term sheet stage for our acquirer, uh, was that took, we got that done rather quickly. Once we got to the point where we decided, okay, we're going to commit and this is it. That was about a two week process of going over like what we wanted mm-hmm. out of it, a couple of in-person meetings, and then that term sheet really was—that was really the governing document for the acquisition. Like that, because their team had such experience in just purchase sales and everything, the, the documentation that followed everything up took a very short amount of time, like a week, two weeks, uh, and we weren't very hands-on on that, just except for the final, you know, v- revisions to the document but about it was a 2 week process in that term sheet we'd already built up so much trust at that point too you know and i think it would have happened that way with any of the people that we were talking to if it had gotten that far because you know we'd been on the other side of them in negotiations when you're on the other side with attorneys in negotiations you get a feeling for who's trustworthy who's honorable who's going to try to screw you over who won't and so i think i'd like to think it would have turned out that way with anybody. It would have been not too contentious and very collaborative. So really, it was just hammering out, when does partnership vest? uh, How much money are we going to (laughs) get? So all of those type of things that you would negotiate in any business. So, yeah.
0: Were there any surprises or any any specific things that were difficult about the negotiations?
1: About the negotiation, no. But... That's not common, I would think, for a lot of people. Uh, The actual uh, firm that acquired us, they did not... I think the surprises along the way, there were few. There were points where I thought, you know, in the original conversation, oh, we planned on, you know, shares, equity to vest at this certain point, but then... You know, there's like a couple of changes at the last moment uh, because, you know, when someone's invited you to come in and be an equity partner, because they hadn't had any equity partners up until that point, uh, other than the founding partners, uh, you know, it's a lot. So we had to kind of go back and forth. And if we're going to do this, then we need the promise of this happening and when and and the money that we're going to get. And so that was, um, so I think that the, if I had to pin it on something, it would be Oh, this is a horrible phrase to use. It's not because buyer's remorse is not the right thing, but it's like, just like last moment hesitation, right? Especially because when someone's bringing you in, they're going to be a little, well, are you going to disrupt what we've been building for all of these years? And so I think there was that last minute hesitation. That was the only challenge. And then just going in, and just having conversations, frank conversations with people and say, I understand where you're coming from. This is why we don't think we're going to rock the boat. And this is why this is still in everybody's best interest. That was the biggest challenge. I think that's more of a human component than it is with a particular sticking point in the documents or anything like that.
0: And how was the integration post acquisition?
1: It was, uh, I think it was very smooth. So if you are selling a service company and you're talking about like monthly billables, you're bringing a lot of invoices over, right? A lot of current invoices, and then uh, transitioning all of the client information in. And for a professional service business like lawyering, you then have to get everybody signed to new engagement letters. So it actually was, we actually laid that out. That took a lot of time, but we had our paralegal and their uh, two paralegals on their end. And we had a really like fluid system and an email launch and it it worked really well. So it was actually quite smooth. I think it would have been far worse if we had a larger team. I think we were a small enough team and small enough client file. And then we also were very technology integrated law firm, whereas the law firm that was acquiring us wasn't necessarily. So it was easy for us to get, you know, all of our client files and our practice management system transitioned over and, because you know it was all is all in the cloud. <laughs> so we were and we were very good about about keeping those records and keeping everything you know pretty in order. So that transition is pretty easy. So
0: what advice would you give to someone looking to sell a services business?
1: Yeah. So I th- the number one thing that I got out of this and this is also from business brokers who we were talking to was don't, I think I probably overuse that phrase? Create your market, but I was use, reusing what other people told me, right? So, serv- here's my opinion, and this is also in hiring. I tell people that are looking for jobs in the legal profession. It's almost the same way. People running a services business, it doesn't scale like product, right? It's it's it probably means they're spending a lot of time working on their business, right? Especially if it's a smaller business, and they might be doing very well that business, but it's but it's still it's still going to require a little bit more man hours, right? And so you're not always going to find the best bidder for your services. Sometimes, or let me put it this way, the person that's looking to buy your services, they may not know that they're in the market to buy your services, your business, right? They, It's not that, it, it's sometimes, with us, as I said, the law firms that were looking to acquire us, one was in the habit of acquiring sections, uh, like law firm sections, The one that ended up acquiring us had never done anything like this before. I had to pitch them on that. I think if you're selling a services business, there's a lot of opportunity for you to go find the right fit. But I just don't think a lot of people do it. So I think that that's my big thing is is expand your market. Think about who might be a good person to acquire you, even if they don't think they're in that market. Uh, Look, you know, and you even open up the conversation about it. You know, um, I think that's the big thing because look, if you create your market, you have more opportunity to make money off of it, right? Uh, you're going to set your own price. That's what you want to do. You want to have as many people interested as possible. And so I think this could be said for each business, but especially, I especially say this in the services business, because I think most of the people running the services businesses are so busy running their successful business that they're not thinking about how you can make them even more successful if if it's, if it's there's an acquisition.
0: One question I ask all my guests, yeah. and, and you have an interesting perspective on this given your direct as well as indirect experience, but with, with other companies. Yeah. And that's, when is the right time to sell?
1: Yeah. So mine, I, I wouldn't use mine. <laughs> we had, we did, you know what? Actually, no, I take it back. I actually think that is a pretty good one. You sell. You, you sell when you need to. <laughs> so, uh, we sold because we needed to, because in order to maintain what we were building, we needed help and we needed to do it. We needed to do that. Otherwise we risk pissing clients off or, I'm uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said in the podcast, <laughs> okay. but, um, um, you know, losing that traction that we had, we needed to do it. And I think that some people need to do it for different reasons. Some people need to do it because they're burnt out, right? Um, some people need to do it because their family needs a, an infusion of cash. You know, there's there's different reasons. But I think if I were to just put, like, one kind of, like, soundbite on it, it would be you sell when you need to.
0: I like that. Yeah. RC, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah.
1: Today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.